0: Hi, I'm Damien Riadhope, and I took a left at the valley.
1: I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non astrologers and all that. But with religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. atheist, atheist.
0: Coming at you from some humidor. This is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I'm currently enjoying a good Cuban cigar. Joining me as usual is a team of revolutionaries that will take a small island of skeptics and turn its missile on the fallacies of religion. (laughs) She taught Che everything he knew. Nancy.
2: Hey, I want one of those Cuban cigars too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He enjoys a carne con papas like everyone, Tyler. Viva la revolution. And he salsas especially when corn chips are involved, Kevin. Yum. (laughs) Guys, welcome back. We're going to have a great show today. Today we're actually doing our very first official debate.
2: Oh, wow. It's Only 95
0: episodes in and we're doing yeah. that, right?
2: <laughs> no, that's great. I'm excited. It's going to be a great show.
0: Turn the mic towards you, dear. I can barely hear you. Again. Oh,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: It, it is toward
2: me. I'm yeah. fading. Shows. 95 I'm shows. fading. <laughs> okay. Am I back? I'm back. Yes. Okay.
0: But before we get into that, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Um... Actually, you know what? Let's introduce our guests, because we got two guests here in studio. we got uh, Chris and Ryan. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kevin. There we go. That was better. It's
3: amazing how many people fit in here.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, totally. It's, a, it's our live audience. Our live audience. So, did you guys hear that the uh, Kinder Morgan Pipeline is a go? Oh.
2: Yeah. Any thoughts on
0: that?
1: Yes, I just did a paper
0: on it. Speaking to the mic, I can't hear
1: you. I just did a
4: paper on that. On the Kinder Morgan, no. on a lot of different things, but Kinder Morgan factored prominently into
0: it. Okay, well, give us your thoughts.
4: It's stupid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the end. The, the, the Kinder Morgan pipeline is the one that comes down the uh, fr- uh, uh, along the Fraser there and essentially goes through Abbotsford towards Burnaby. It's an original pipeline. It's been there for 60 years, and they're actually twinning, if not tripling, it, in order to send some bitumen. Out of uh, the tar sands into Cherry Point, and some of it also, I believe, into the Chevron refinery near Vancouver,
4: and overseas to China.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of opposition. We actually did a show a long time ago, one of our in our first season, we had people from the uh, Pipe Up. It was a group called Pipe Up that was opposing the Kinder Morgan. And uh, I'd be kind of curious. Maybe we'll have to follow with them and try to get them They're some... still opposing it. Yeah, they're still opposing they're it. They're still oh, yeah. opposing Maybe we we'll have to it, yeah. give them a call and see if they can make a, a, a quick statement about that. So... Uh, Prime Minister is not making any friends here in BC, apparently, Oh, mm-hmm. as far as environmentalists are concerned.
4: Well, these people complain, and justfully so, because it's bad for the environment. But we need to first find an alternative. You can't just move away from oil without having a viable alternative first.
0: Yeah, I think that's going to be the big debate, too.
4: Everything's made of oil, like things you just wouldn't even imagine. Tyler's are... made of oil. There Blast you go. <laughs>
1: yeah plastics and and fuels like medicine
4: medicine sure. is hugely hugely oil-based time
0: so i guess the the the, the debate's going to come into the future do we really need to keep going on this oil binge for like a better term or start phasing it out for different technologies obviously yeah, well, we yeah. different
4: technologies first and how much money are we putting into developing those
0: well that's the thing right if we're not developing them then we have no reason to phase out oil right and I think it's kind of done on purpose if you don't mind me one
4: asking. of the things that I, that
1: I found like kind of revolting was the lack of transparency in the whole thing and the way that people are just manipulated like even the Vancouver Board of Trade said well yeah put it through because it'll open us up to different markets in Asia and everything like that but it's it's our dependence that he was using as a defense, and it's actually an American company pushing it through to China so they can sell it back to us at OPEC prices, which is exactly, ridiculous, exactly. right? Exactly.
2: I, I hate to be very pessimistic, but at this point, it's going to be holding my breath until the first disaster and the first leak mm. happens. Yeah, so exactly. That's, that's, where, like, that's where I become very skeptical about pipelines and yeah. inspections. Yeah. Dare and I say, and so God forth. forbid.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, good one. I, th- I think the idea also that
2: uh, you just have to look at North Dakota to see what can well, happen.
0: Well, even then they had they had crude oil, but this is bitumen. The bitumen as soon as it hits the water, it's not gonna it's not gonna float. It's just gonna sink like a stone, it right? There. It's They have no real way to clean that up. And we also saw that if I remember correct, my stat correctly, if they clean up fifteen percent of a spill, only fifteen one five, it's considered successful. Hmm. What does that really say, right? So, anyway, we'll have to keep on on that.
4: You know how I feel about the private sector over things like that.
0: Yes. It's an interesting thing. Like, the Arizona, which is a battleship in World War II, Pearl Harbor,
4: that
1: was sunk right immediately, is still leaking oil to this day. Mm. Like, those things don't go away.
0: No, it doesn't. Ah. And, of course, we also have to talk about the death of Fidel Castro.
4: Oh, don't right. get me started. I've been debating this for like a week.
0: Well, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what's interesting. Well, I, I, I want to hear what you guys think. Was this guy a horrible, horrible person, or was he uh,
2: some kind of hero? Uh, he was a, he yeah. was a blend, I think, wasn't he? Well, become, I mean, history, I think, is going to put him, you know... How would history most, judge Castro? Yeah, right? how is history... Well, okay, it depends.
4: Be? What sources are we talking? Every time yeah. I debate people, it's all these American sources and unreliable mm-hmm. sources. Like the real Cuba.com. Yeah, go away things like the cbc and the bbc actual reliable sources are a lot more favorable but what people forget is yes he did suppress the you know freedom of speech the newspapers and all that kind of stuff when he was down there but he kicked out batista who was you know slaughtering his own people taking all the money all these kind of thing he gave them free university free healthcare, free housing all these different things but with all the sabotage that was going on like the u.s was paying Basically, mercenaries to go down there and blow up hotels and spread propaganda. And that's lo- right, that's right. So, yeah, he took a lot of measures to avoid having the US do what they did in Guatemala with Yocobo Arbenz, which was they used the press to basically get rid of him. And all he was doing was taking the land away from the United Fruit Company and giving it back to his people. So, he had to take some serious measures. And people are like, oh, Fidel Castro made his country poor. No, we didn't. The U.S. embargo made his, co- yeah, his the right. country that's poor. Right. We're talking 75% of the imports and exports were completely gone.
1: Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem.
4: So that's what made them poor, and then they had to go to Russia for help. Castro mm-hmm. tried to have positive relations with the United States, and they just flat out said no.
0: Yeah, and of course, uh, Castro, if, you, <laughs> if you're not familiar with him, Welcome back to Earth. Uh, he was born in 1926. He died at the age of 90. Um, the CIA apparently attempted uh, on his life. They had 638 assassination attempts on his life. And,
4: so, well, not just attempts, but plots that yeah, they never exactly. actually carried out. Some,
0: some of them were ridiculous, like poison cigars and uh, there's a, there was a radio station that was rigged with LSD. Yeah. And, <laughs> anyway, so he took power in 1959 and he took over from uh, for Gencio Batista, like you said. Yeah. Uh, and I think the the United States never forgave the idea that they deposed their dictator because he was supported by the United States and replaced it with a dictator they didn't like, which was himself.
4: Well, so, <laughs> and it, it's hypocritical because they assassinated El Salvador Ande in Chile there. And what did they put in? They put in somebody a billion times worse than exactly. Fidel Castro. Don't! And they're like, oh, he he's imprisoning people, you know, for a long amount of time and torturing them. Um, anybody ever heard of Guantanamo Bay? Go! Go! Give me a break. Yeah, I
0: mean, I, I don't I don't think that uh, Fidel Castro was an angel by any stretch of the imagination. But I think if you're hearing from the American media and that's how you're making your idea of Fidel Castro, I think you're also making a mistake. Yes. So, anyway. Um, you have to do a whole show about that.
4: Yeah, what, interesting. yeah it's, going to, it's,
2: it's going to be interesting now with Trump, um, the, our, the, the president to be, what's going to happen to the relationships. It would be totally different if Obama was still in office. I mean, but people are. Watch, like, watch this space.
4: Yeah, but people are like, oh, Castro died. Everything's going to change. Castro hasn't been president in eight years. Yeah, his yeah. brother, right,
0: right now. Well, he and he's 85. Yeah.
4: So. But they'll probably pass it down to somebody else. And
0: but. a little-known fact about the about uh, Cuba is that they have some of the best doctors in the world.
4: And they eliminated their homelessness. They eliminated their child poverty, child starvation, all those things. Completely eliminated. They kicked out the mob, got rid of casinos. It's pretty good. It would be an amazing place. He would have done so well if it hadn't been for the embargo and all the sabotage. I,
0: okay, and uh, also the idea that... Uh, Uh, He has sent more medical aid and doctors to third world nations than most of the first world nations almost combined.
4: He helped get rid of apartheid in South Africa. Yeah. He was was almost
0: trading in doctors. uh, What was that name from uh, Venezuela? Uh, Hugo 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 Chavez. Chavez. He He would trade oil venezuela for medical aid
4: well he helped rescue hugo chavez after he was kidnapped yeah
0: exactly so it's, 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 and and all, it's pe- gonna be.
4: people are bagging on justin trudeau about it hardcore because he had favorable comments so did that british guy i can't remember the guy's jeffrey something or whatever his name is but pierre trudeau justin's father was really really good friends with fidel castro yes
0: yes and uh, fidel came also at uh, pierre's funeral i believe
4: yep absolutely so
0: History will judge Fidel Castro, and uh, the, the debate will go on. Just
4: don't read American sources. Like, seriously. Exactly. You
0: just got to be questioning your sources. Well, it's
4: biased, them. right? So, Except for CNN. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll address the Amnesty International unreliability at some other point there, Nancy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Chris, but, did you want to say something?
3: Yeah, well, I, I, I really enjoy studying history and looking at historical figures, hence even why I'm here today. Mm. But I one interesting trend that i think you see with anybody that's famous um you can see really positive impacts that they had on the world and i think it's safe to say most have had a negative impact as well it's you just kind of got to balance out which had the most lasting impact on yeah. the world and, and of
0: course negative impacts have a tendency to make more of an impact
3: well look at the than
4: bad popcorn. look at the bad stuff they say about martin luther king jr right mm. he was an alcoholic woman that, who
3: cares
0: yeah, exactly.
3: Christopher Hitchens even made that point, I think.
0: Hitch-lap. I don't recall. And God's Not Great. Could be, could be. Um, I will, uh, I've will. i talked to uh, our friend Ian Bushfield, and I've got a little pre-recorded interview. I wanted you guys to listen to that, uh, because about uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had that Trinity Western University uh, from the, the Court of Appeal. So uh, let's listen in to what Ian has to say. All right, we're here with Ian Bushfield. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Excellent. So we just want to do a quick update with you because you've been keeping a close eye on that whole Trinity Western University thing. Can you tell us the newest developments?
5: At the start of November, the BC Court of Appeal came down with its decision on the Trinity Western University versus the Law Society BC. This is the case surrounding Trinity Western University's desire to open a law school. Now, TWU is the Evangelical Christian School where they say students can't be in a same-sex relationship while they're there. And so it essentially puts a bar on LGBT couples or individuals from going to that school or at least being themselves while they're there. The Court of Appeal ruling essentially in a unanimous decision of all five judges where they didn't even sign it. So it's, you know, the ruling of the court. No one wanted to put their name on it. They said the Trinity Western University's positions, they sided entirely with Trinity Western University. They, you know, sh- dismissed all of the arguments about discrimination. They said there is discrimination, but it's effectively trivial. It's, trivial? Yeah. They Well, in the Ontario case, they called this community covenant deeply discriminatory to the LGBT community, and they said it hurts. In this one, they said it's, the impact on Trinity Western's religious freedom is much more significant than the sort of minor impact that would be found on the evangel or that on the gay students. Effectively they were saying there's going to be more law school seats. So therefore Christians at who might have gone to UBC will now go to TWU, so there'll be more seats for gay students by this sort of weird twist of logic.
0: That's just outrageous.
5: Yeah. It's in the same realm as if we opened a new bus line in the city of Vancouver that said no blacks, and then you said, well there's technically more seats for black people on buses because white people won't all be on the same bus as everyone else. We just wouldn't allow that in that kind of situation but for some reason this is okay because it's a deeply held religious belief at the Trinity Western campus.
0: Oh my god, yes, indeed. Wow, I'm outraged by that answer and from these judges. uh, We know that the uh, current liberal government here in BC is um, fairly cozy with the the religious right Uh, but Did we have any notions that the judges in the court were uh, leaning that, that way as well?
5: I don't know too much about the personal positions of each of the judges, and I won't speculate on that. I think we do have a good justice system here that generally gets things right, but this was a pretty shocking position for them to take. I think what they really were trying to square was the fact that in 2001, when the College of Teachers brought forward a similar case against Trinity Western University, when they tried to open a teaching school, the Supreme Court of Canada effectively said, you can't not let them have a teaching school. And so they felt probably a bit bound to that, whereas the Ontario court took a more radical stance and did sort of rule against the precedent. You know, uh, courts are very reluctant to change decisions. And so I think there was a desire for them to find a way to, you know, argue within the framework that exists, a framework we don't agree with. The other thing that was really frustrating was the argument we brought forward from the BC Humanist Association and Canadian Secular Alliance was that opening a a law school is not a religious activity. You know, it doesn't say in the Bible, thou shalt be a law school. That's a very good point. We sort of challenged them and said, you know, opening a law school is a secular thing. Why are we even talking about religious freedom here? But when the ruling came down, he just basically, they basically just accepted that this was a religious freedom case, and they pretty much said no one argued the contrary. So they pretty much just ignored our entire intervention, which, you know, kind of annoyed me and our lawyer, I think.
0: Yes, with good reason. So now this is most likely going to head to the Supreme Court. Uh, what do you think the odds are?
5: It's really tough to say. So this decision is sort of the polar opposite of the same question out of Ontario. So you have two decisions that cannot both be true. So the Supreme Court of Canada will have to hear it. Both of those decisions have been appealed. So you have the uh, Law Society here appealing this decision and you have Trinity Western appealing the Ontario decision. And the Supreme Court of Canada is going to put it all together at some point next year, probably start taking applications to intervene, and that's when we'll bring forward our arguments and figure out how we can argue against this.
0: Excellent. If uh, people want to find out more about uh, what you're doing in your efforts with the BC Humanists, Ian, where can they find you?
5: They can find us at bchumanist.ca. Intervening at the Supreme Court of Canada is not going to be cheap, but we think this is an important case to really try to define limits on where religious freedom goes, because it's this sort of nebulous, ever-expanding blob.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, if we don't do something about this, we might end up with the Brigham Young University up here in Canada and uh, Pat Robertson University. Same thing, right?
5: Yeah. Well, it was really interesting when I sat through the hearings at the Court of Appeal here. One of the judges even asked the law or asked Trinity Western, I think, if there was only one law school in BC and it was a discriminatory one like yours, would the Law Society then have, you know, the justification to look at your admissions policies? And they didn't really have an answer for that. Right? They mm. had to say, yeah, obviously if there was only one law school, it would have to be acceptable. So now we're arguing about the degree of discrimination that's okay in society. You know, It's the sort of how tolerant should we be of intolerance.
0: Yeah, exactly. You, you're allowed to discriminate if you have another option. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Ian, and uh, we'll keep tabs and uh, hope to see you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. And that was our friend Ian Bushfield. Now, I, I want to ask a question because we've got Chris here. Well, first of all, what are your thoughts on this? And Chris, I believe you do study at TWU, don't you? That's right, yeah. So, so what do you think about what our friend Ian said there? I mean, I don't want to go uh, do a whole show on, on this, obviously, but...
3: <laughs> Start two debates at once. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, I mean, I agree, obviously, with the Christian perspective that I think either way there's going to be an infringement on somebody's Mm -hmm. rights um for my two cents worth i'll say like um i don't think that they're unreasonable in what they're asking their students i mean i'm a straight student there's certain things that i have to with that i'm not allowed to do i sign a covenant to say i won't do while i'm
0: there don't you don't you think there has been much now? But, I mean, this is not a no shoe no shirt no service thing this is really you know I don't know I don't want to I don't want to do a whole debate on this I really thought that Ian's point about you know what if what if we did something like that and we compare it to being black you know you're not allowing this school this law school because you're black freeing spaces because by saying well if we if if you allow it then the, they will free spaces for the other school then you can use that one it's like no, that's just, that's just wrong. That's
3: I, right. I like what Jesus said about gay people.
0: Absolutely not nothing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he was talking to a primarily Jewish audience. He wouldn't have needed to.
0: <laughs> well, you think there's no gay Jews?
3: No, it's just I think it wasn't much of an issue in Israel. It was kind of the death penalty, so they knew it was already It was a bad thing. You wouldn't have had to convince them it was bad.
0: You live to regret this! Mm,
3: or they
4: would have been closeted.
0: Yeah.
3: Well, and the real thing is that
4: it violates the human declaration of human rights regarding discriminating based based on race, gender, sexual orientation... Religious freedom, you know. Anyway,
0: before we get carried away <laughs> on this, Nancy, we'll save it for another show. Okay, save <laughs> for another show. You ready to go? <laughs> am,
2: I, am I intervening here as a moderator? <laughs>
0: you <laughs> are. Yeah. You keeping us in line?
2: <laughs> this, this is the first time I've <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming in sort of as you know, the, 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 all, you. the I'm alternative. Lo- I'm, I'm you again. Miss, I'm, I'm coming in as Miss Nice. Here we go. Um, yeah. I know it must be the mic. It's not me, it's the mic, right? It's you. It's me, I know. Okay, here we go. This day in history, which as we know by now is a roundup of those events and people who altered and illuminated the days between November the 28th and December the 4th. So starting with November the 27th, which uh, is, is kind of ironic in a way because in the States November the 27th happened to have been Native American Heritage Day and of course everyone at Standing Rock you know, <laughs> yep. you know, needs to be reminded that uh, that was an important day and still should be an important Would day. Would you like
0: your turkey with water cannons? <laughs> <That's> right,
2: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh heavens. At any rate, on November the 27th in 1924 in In New York City, the first Macy's Thanksgiving Parade was held. And that was uh, an event that's still going to this day. Mm-hmm. Do you ever watch it? Did anybody no, ever watch it? that cared. parade? I don't, to, no? I don't
0: care much for parades to begin with. I, no. I don't even know who Macy is. So. But it's, uh,
2: it, it's, it's sort what of, did you see? yeah, it's sort of, it used to open up the holiday season, which unfortunately now starts July 4th. <laughs> so people can, can still do all of their, into their shopping. Uh, November the 28th was Independence Day in Panama. Ooh. And in 1948, the Polaroid land camera, first one. Anybody remember the Polaroid camera? I have a Polaroid. That's you, how old I am. I saw yes. a picture of it once. <laughs> <laughs> I had one. <laughs> and I remember with the, the Polaroid land cameras, people would, would gather. You take the picture, and then people would actually gather around and watch it and watch as it develops. <laughs> <laughs> it's like watching paint dry, but it was so exciting to be able to watch that picture come it to life. Much
0: to back then, it
2: didn't <laughs> it really didn't. It went on sale in Boston, um, at first and it was the forty series. Model um, ninety-five, and it had um, it, it went on sale for eighty-nine seventy-five, which was really expensive. I don't know back then what the, what the dollar comparison would, but I would imagine it's close to two, that would be close to two hundred dollars these days. Yeah, I think. Maybe
0: I don't
2: know. But that first model was sold through nineteen fifty-three, and um, it, uh, it it just wowed people, you know, for for a long time and, and until we got digital. So I, I'm, I'm sorry to see it. Sorry to see it go because it was a, it was a lot of fun. Sort of like etch a sketch. You know, it appeared before your very eyes. And there's a
4: little bird inside of it, drawing yeah. it away from the fun you could
0: know. just go to any thrift store and find one today, probably.
2: Yeah, November the 30th is Saint Andrew's Day in Scotland. And in 1609, on November the 30th, the modern face of the moon first emerged when Galileo. Uh, Turned his telescope toward the moon and noticed the irregularities of the crescent face and made drawings to record his discoveries just before he was imprisoned Mm -hmm. (laughs) for finding the truth. Um, December the 1st was World AIDS Day, and it was the birthday of Richard Carrier, which is kind of nice because we're sitting uh, um, acknowledging that um, he wrote the book um, on the historicity of Jesus, and we're having our... Um, our debate today, so kind of nice to <clears throat> to say a little shout out. Yeah, to I'm, fr- I'm
4: friends with him on Facebook. I talk to him every once in a while, so I
0: wished him happy birthday.
2: Yeah, hey, it's, it's a good. shame
0: you didn't get to meet him when he came here to Abbotsford He was actually we had a good time with
2: him. Yeah, it was a, he, he was he was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, 1999. Um <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, a book called Western Atheism, which was a short history on, on paperback. Uh, it was a book by James Thrower, who is a professor professor in the history of religions and director of the Center for Study of Religions at the University of Aberdeen, Scotland. So, anyone who is interested in atheism, that's a book to uh, add to your to, to your collection. December the 2nd was International Day for the Abolition of Slavery Day. And in 1942, the first nuclear chain reaction at a secret site was built beneath the bleachers of Stag Field at the University of Chicago today. It's not so...
0: Not during the game, right? Not during... Phew, because, you know...
2: Well, it was a slow game. <laughs> so it wasn't so se- it was secret when they did it. it and not so secret. Today. Well, the us wish
4: if the team loses, you know. Yeah. <laughs> did you say abolishing slavery in the United States? Is that what you said?
2: Well, it was the abolition... It's the International, oh, the international Day for the Abolition way. of Slavery. So slavery... Anybody remember the name of the scientist who was the head of the, that team? Oh. Uh, Enrico Fermi. You don't hear his name too much anymore, but he was he was the one that did the first self sustaining nuclear chain He's, reaction. He was a real sports fan. Yeah, <laughs> really. <laughs> <laughs> that was before they developed the wave. It was a nuclear <laughs> chain reaction.
0: It's kind of sad since
4: slavery still exists in the world it is and the international stuff. abolishment of slavery, and yet there's still slavery all around the world. What the hell?
2: Yeah, yeah it's more well
0: like social.
2: Just, uh, just acknowledging it doesn't doesn't work anymore. We're going to have right. to do something about it.
4: Well, because they think it's done. Oh, the international yeah. abolishment Oh, slavery must be gone. Uh, no, no. We're
2: not. Um, December the second, nineteen eighty-eight. Salman Rushdie's controversial novel, The Satanic Verses, was publicly burned for the first time when a demonstration of seven thousand Muslims marched and burned it in Bolton, England. And there was very little press attention given to that incident at that time because it was still the very early stages of Muslim outrage against Rushdie and his book. But then the fatwa came and Mm -hmm. all of the the difficulties after that. He hid out for many, many years and didn't tell people where he was. I believe
0: that fatwa is still on his head.
2: Yeah, December the 5th was World Soil Day and on December the 5th in 1893 the first electric car was built. Guess where? Canada, Toronto. You're ah. right. Yeah, Toronto you right, Toronto, the center of the universe. That's right. However, Kevin, they like to think there so. there was. They, they say this was the first electric car, and it's it's written up that way. But actually, it was the second because the first electric car was actually built in Quebec in 1897. Yes, Is that Henry. do <laughs> Ontario people? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. The story behind it is really interesting. A fellow by the name of Frederick Bernard and ton Baugh, there we go. Get ready. He was he was a really young guy, but his name was older than dirt. I mean, <laughs> to try Feather and Featherstone Baugh was a lawyer in Toronto and his home was one of the first to have electricity and the conveniences that went with it. Well, Featherstone also had his eye on the new horseless carriage, and he was really interested in it. And by happenstance, one of his clients was a gentleman named William Still, who brought to him uh, the desire to patent a motor, electric motor, that, that he thought would work really well. Well, Featherstone and Still got together, became friendly, and um, they, realized, they uh, Still was an engineer. And he and Feathernstall and decided that they would get together and work out a, a patent for the battery and the motor, and they took it to a fellow named John Dixon, who um, had a company called Dixon, Dixon Carriage Works. And the three of them then got together and actually produced um, the first car. And there is some dispute as to whether or not it was really 1893 or 1896 but, in any, in any event, Dixon constructed this car, which was a nice little two-seater. It was an open runabout, and it had a padded bench seat, fashionable wire-spoke wheels, and it weighed 700 pounds.
0: Wow. And it didn't have like a pink bunny with a drum on it,
3: did it? <laughs> yeah, a bunny?
2: It, it certainly could have. And they built it for Feather and st- I hate to see this man's name over and over and over. Let's call him Frederick. It's okay. difficult difficult Frederick. to make it. Yeah, make it easy on... There's um, a quiz after this, yeah. guys. <laughs> so Frederick had this little car, and, and eventually it had electric lights, a folding top. And I don't know about the pink bunny, but it's possible. <laughs> pneumatic tires, and it was a very comfortable ride. And Frederick was so delighted that he actually kept it for an amazing 15 years. Wow. And and the way they charged this thing to keep it going is fascinating because Toronto at, at that point was developing the electric streetcar so they had wires that were strung pretty much like they any just other thing. just stole the
0: electricity from the car. And he
2: would hook up to the he'd hook up to the wires <laughs> and charge his car. I love
6: this guy. I love shocking.
2: It. Yeah, so the car yeah, the, the car was put on display at the Canadian National Exhibit in 1893 and again in 1898. It, but by 1910, the electric car was virtually obsolete, which is an interesting story about the oil companies, but we we won't get into that. Yeah. But the car was not saved. No one knows what ever happened to it. They've got pictures of it, but the car itself totally disappeared, oh, and that was the end really? of it. It just evaporated. Oh, it's
0: probably in some freaking chicken coop somewhere. Avro Arrow. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I think Tyler probably stole it. Tyler stole, stole it, that's it. it. And <laughs> sold it for parts.
1: <laughs>
2: i get a bag of meat, meat be- for this. That was yeah. the beginning of Tyler's <laughs> illustrious career so everybody be careful with your cars because
4: <laughs> all the blind people stealing cars out there
2: <laughs> <laughs> coming epidemic december the 6th is national day of remembrance and action on violence against women also formerly known as white ribbon day and that, dear listeners, brings to a close under the passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasionally, mostly bizarre... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to repeat change a that from occasionally... Mostly bizarre yeah. events and people that make up this day in history.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Nancy. And we'll be right back, right after this.
1: Hi. I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps,
3: as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatchers such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page.
0: What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear.
4: The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Center. Please visit our website for more details at bchumanist.ca.
0: And we're back. So today... We are doing a debate, a real debate, and we're having Chris the Christian versus Gemma the Atheist, and we're talking about the historicity of a certain JC. Ever heard of this guy? Jay Z like the rapper? Yeah, that's right, the rapper, Jay Z. <laughs> I might have read a book that had something
4: about him in it, maybe one time.
0: Yeah, yeah, some I don't know, some some carpenter guy. I don't know. He's a carpenter, yeah. Yeah, so I heard. So I heard.
4: Tecton, actually. <laughs> which means builder.
0: So Chris, for for our audience that might not know you, we know you, you're a friend, but for our audience that might not know you, would you be so kind to give us a brief intro as to who you are? And how the hell did you get into my living room?
1: Yeah, that's a joke, son. Don't you get it? I made a funny son, and you're not laughing.
3: (laughs) Uh, White van and abduction. No. uh. That's beautiful. Uh, he must be Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> he is from Quebec, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, my name's Chris, as Kevin said. Uh, I am a second-year uh, apologetics uh, major at Act Seminary. I basically got invo- invited by Kevin to this because uh, we both go to the same uh, Sunday afternoon meetup group. Uh, and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, just offered me the chance to come on, try my stuff at debating.
0: Yeah, that's right, that's right. What's the meetup group? Uh, The Fraser Valley Atheist, Skeptics, and Humanists, of course.
4: Oh, okay, yeah, I didn't know you were part. I'm in the Facebook group, I just don't do the
3: Sunday thing, so. I've been part of it for about two years now, I guess, almost.
0: Yeah, Chris has has been coming on a regular basis to the group, and, you know, uh, although he's, he's not an atheist... We still welcome him with open arms, and we have a good time with him. And oh, sometimes yeah. We, we, we poke we, him a bit sometimes, but, you know.
2: No, it's great because Chris being there um, gives us so much more to discuss from, from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Chris just fits fits right in and and uh, it makes for lively discussions so I'm really pleased that you agreed to come and be on the show and stretch your stuff today.
0: Now Chris you're going to be oh, we're going to be calling your opponent a lady by the name of Gemma in a few seconds but before we do that I want to I want you to tell me how did you prepare for this and you know did you did you really study hard let's, let's give you some some training music like some training montage music. What do you <laughs> <mean>? <laughs>
3: Well, the nice thing was I actually had to write a paper on the resurrection last week, so all I was looking at was historical arguments for Jesus, so it actually fit really well into the prep work for this, and I've got like 30 books at home on the subject, so.
0: So you're feeling pretty confident?
3: I'm still curious. It's not my strongest area that I've found so far, but we'll see how it goes. You're going to get in the ring with that monster. You know that, right? (laughs) That's what I've been told, yeah. you got
1: to get ready to rock! Get
3: in there, Rock. <laughs> Can you put on Eye of the Tiger or
0: something? <laughs> I will, but later. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so we're gonna get your opponent on the line here in a sec. All right, and your opponent is uh, from the United States, Gemma. Hi, Gemma. How you doing?
6: Excellent. Tell
0: you. Good. Good. Thank you so much for being here with us. My pleasure. Excellent. Excellent. Now your opponent here is Chris, and here are the rules. We've. Uh, Agree to a uh, that we'll let uh, Chris go first we'll let uh, Chris do a five minutes introduction so he can do his argument and uh, then uh, we'll let you counter that with a five minute of your own and then we'll go uh, back and forth nice and clean I don't want to see any blood spill because I got to clean that up after (laughs) fair enough absolutely okay this this is the part where you two answer Chris yes (laughs) okay Okay, perfect (laughs) so let me set this so let me set the timer well, we'll let this show begin. This is going to be the fight today between Chris and Gemma. All right, Chris, you go, man. Five right. minutes. <coughs> so in this debate,
3: we're discussing whether Jesus was a historical figure. As a Christian, I obviously believe that he was, and I will defend this position with two contentions based on the earliest gospel that we have, the gospel of Mark. But the first contention is that Mark gives eyewitness testimony. I admit the title of my first point is surprising Mark himself was not a disciple so he did not witness many of the events for himself except possibly the garden arrest. What I mean is that Mark wrote down the eyewitness testimony of the Apostle Peter. There's two lines of evidence to p- that point to this. First, this is multiply attested by church fathers. Papias, Bishop of Hierapolis, said, Mark, having become the interpreter of Peter, wrote down accurately, though not indeed in order, whatsoever he remembered of the things said or done by Christ. who who is a student of Ignatius and Polycarp, both students of the Apostle John himself and a visual, a bit, eventual Bishop of Lugdunum, wrote, Mark, the disciple and interpreter of Peter, did also hand down to us in writing what has been preached by Peter. And I've at least found uh, two other uh, historical figures, uh, Justin Martyr and Clement of Alexandria, that back this up. Now, 1 Peter 5:6 also has Peter himself mentioning that Mark was a traveling companion of his. So here we have at least four sources all claiming the same thing in a statement by Peter that makes it probable that Mark was a writer. Also, there's internal evidence that strongly suggests this is the case. First, Peter is the main character in Mark's short gospel, being mentioned 26 times, whereas in Matthew's much longer gospel, he is mentioned only three more times. Second, Mark talked about Peter as if he was already fairly well known. Third, Mark begins his gospel with Peter in Mark 1.16 and ends with him in Mark 16.7. J. Warner Wallace tells us that scholars describe this type of book ending as inclusio and have noticed it in other ancient texts where a piece of history is attributed to a particular eyewitness. Also, you notice that Mark protects Peter in his gospel in at least a couple of instances. For example, Matthew describes the incident of Jesus walking on water and Peter trying to emulate him but failing miserably. In Matthew 14:22 to 23 Mark omits the story altogether. Wallace writes, While other Gospels mention Peter directly as a source of some embarrassing statement or question, Mark's Gospel omits Peter's name specifically and attributes questions or statements to the disciples or some other similarly unnamed member of the group. This is a sort of protectiveness you would expect from someone who would be as close to Peter as a traveling companion of Mark. Also, Mark adds details that are best attributed to Peter. Uh, one example is in Matthew uh, chapter 4, verses 13 to 16, Jesus returned to Galilee and settled in Capernaum. Mark, telling the same story, says that Jesus entered Capernaum and the people heard that he had come home. On a surface level, this might seem like a contradiction, especially since Jesus' hometown was Nazareth, not Capernaum. But Mark actually tells us that Capernaum is Peter's hometown and that Peter's mother lives there. In other words, Peter probably called it home and Mark wrote it down. So based on these uh, independent attestation of the church fathers and the internal evidence in Mark's gospel, it is reasonable, I think, to conclude that Mark wrote down eyewitness accounts of Peter. Secondly, Mark's eyewitness testimony was written too close to the actual events to be fabrications. I'm actually going to argue that Mark was written probably around 61-62 AD, um Mark does not mention the destruction of the temple or the siege by Titus against Jerusalem, both of which occurred in AD seventy, which was the most significant Jewish historical event in the first century. It's further, Luke quotes Mark, and we have reason to believe that Luke was r- written earlier as well. The same author of Luke also wrote also wrote Acts, and Peter and Paul were both major characters in it, neither of their martyrdoms were recorded. The Apostle Paul was martyred in the city of Rome in AD 64, and Peter was martyred shortly afterward in AD 65. Mark seems to be protecting key players. For example, Mark describes Peter cutting off Malchus's ear, but he does not give the names while Pete, while John later did. Mark also doesn't name the woman who anointed Jesus' feet at Bethany as Mary, Martha's sister, but John When working with gangs, Wallace found that many times someone he was interviewing would leave out names to protect the identities of people that they cared about lest they come to harm. When those people died, they would be more specific, which John, which was written at a later date, would actually mention specifically. Based on all this, I would argue that Mark was eyewitness and that it was written very early on.
0: Perfect. Perfect Mm. timing with five seconds left.
4: (laughs) Did you get all that, Gemma, or did it cut out?
6: I I did, did,
4: yes. I heard the music in the background, so I wasn't sure sometimes (laughs) that drops it, Uh, right?
0: Yeah. So, Gemma, you got five minutes as well. So you go ahead there. You expose your case.
6: Okay. uh, So my case against, of course, the historicity of Jesus uh, is more or less, uh, of course, based on I, I do not think that the Gospels are historical accounts um, I do not I do not grant that uh, Paul uh, the Apostle Paul refers to a to Christ as a historical entity uh, or rather not as a human historical entity um, uh, I do not grant for example that other extra biblical um, well, that extra-biblical uh, accounts that have often been raised, such as the Testimonium Flavianum, for instance. Say what? I do not grant that they uh, refer to Jesus, or I do not grant that they originally did. Um, many of them have been interpolated. But to to stay on the Gospels, I suppose, one of my particular uh Reasoning. My reasoning behind. Sorry, if I'm I'm not uh, terribly eloquent today. Um, more or less, I believe that the Gospels are literary works, or at least that Mark was. The others, I I tend to think are recensions of Mark. That Matthew is simply a, a correction and addition onto Mark. Luke is a commissioned harmonization of the previous two, and John is more or less a complete overhaul of the previous three.
1: Well, that's just fucking great!
6: And yes, I do think that uh, John did have access to all three of the prior Gospels. uh, I I don't think the synoptic problem is, in fact, a problem, uh, if... John simply had access to the other three and used them as he saw fit. In any case, one of my strongest reasons for believing that the Gospels are ahistorical in nature is that Mark—well, all of them do, but especially Mark—seems to have a penchant for making narratives out of non-historical pieces. Uh, He does not use historical sources, uh, nor does he cite any sources. Uh, He instead seems to use materials largely taken from the Old Testament and from various Greco-Roman literature. Mark, from my inductions, I believe was probably Roman, as he uses various Latinisms in his Gospel, um, which would be very unusual. For someone who did not live in the vicinity of Rome since Latin was not widely spoken outside of the city of Rome itself during the first century. So I believe he had to have most likely been Roman since few people outside of that area would have been able to know many of these words. (laughs) Which I think is, of course, why he explains what they mean when he tends to use them. Beyond that... I, of course, do not grant that John Mark is the author of Mark. We do not know who wrote any of the four Gospels. They are written anonymously. None of them cite sources, with the exception of John, and we'll get to that later. One minute left. Left? One minute. Thank you. To return to Mark's borrowing from literary materials, uh, an excellent example that comes to mind now, is the uh, mention of Peter's mother or rather mother in law this seems to be not recounting some historical event but is eerily similar to an old Testament story in which elisha healed a woman and she helped him uh in particular the line is almost very it is very similar nearly verbatim here. Uh, and there seems to be a pun which you wouldn't expect uh, from a historical source, namely uh, a pun in Aramaic. Mark doesn't often use Aramaic or Hebrew, but when he does, he seems to really get a kick out of it because, as I said, it's Peter's mother in law, not his mother. Well, that is because.
0: Mark is making a pun between
6: the Aramaic or the Hamot and the mother-in-law and the pot or feverish.
0: (laughs) All right. Thank you, Gemma. That was your five minutes. Perfect. You guys are first within the boundaries. That's great. Now we'll go to the question round. I guess the first question will be from Chris and you will ask a question to Gemma. Go for it.
3: Okay.
0: You mentioned how
3: the Gospels the writers never identified themselves. Did Were you aware that um, the Roman historian Tacitus, who even Carrier admits actually was the guy that wrote his uh, the Annals, he never actually identifies himself either. He, it's actually by other people saying it was Tacitus that wrote it, very similar to how it was other people that uh, attributed Mark to Mark.
6: The whole question. Okay, uh, that is a fair point. Uh, although I will, of course, note that we don't have all of the annals; parts of them are missing. Um, ergo, I would expect that perhaps he did mention himself by name somewhere, or you know, otherwise addressed himself. Uh, though it wouldn't be a tremendous loss if he hadn't. Though I would expect, as a Roman historian of the time, that he probably did, and we simply don't have that. Uh, in any case, on the Gospels being anonymous, this um, is slightly more serious than that, uh, in the sense that they do not they do not follow a historian structure in the first place. Um, Ergo, I I don't think that's terribly relevant.
0: Okay, good question, good answer. Jeva, your question for Chris, please.
6: Uh, yes, I, I would be interested in knowing more about um, the attribution of the Gospels, um, not only as historical documents, but as written apparently by identifiable people.
3: Sure, so
6: more or less. So more or less the same question, uh, sort of from my side. <laughs>
3: okay. Um, I don't have a ton, I guess, more to answer off the top of my head with that. But
6: well, you have to answer off the top of your head. I'm not going to answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> really? No.
3: Sorry, can you repeat the question one more time?
6: I'll actually maybe rephrase it. In particular, I was interested in your mention that you believe that the Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark, a student of Peter, or uh, an amanuensis, I suppose, of Peter. You you cited uh, church fathers as, as being evidence of that. I... Um, I would ask, I suppose, yes, how do you uh, further defend the uh, authorship of the Gospel of Mark since, as we've said, it it is anonymous, it does not identify an author, and beyond apparent guesswork um, by later figures, uh, there is not any strong indication, to my knowledge, of, of who did write it, other than, as I said, inductions based on its content, such as that he was most likely Roman, in my opinion, since he uses uh, he uses phrases and Latinisms that only a Roman would use.
1: Damn!
3: Okay, so I would point back to say Iranius, uh, who actually was a, a student of the. Uh, of Ignatius and Polycarp, who themselves actually knew the Apostle John. And he is one of the guys that said, Mark, the, and, uh, the disciple and interpreter of Peter, did also hand down to us in writing what has been preached by Peter. So he got it from a guy that was actually an um, eyewitness to what they claimed was going on. I pr- probably flip the same argument around and say, like, we don't know for sure that Tacitus ever identified himself in his things. Mm-hmm. We have just as much
0: incomplete evidence t- uh, to base that idea on. Okay. So. Fair enough. Now uh, I, I got to quickly ask: Polycarp, is that one of the Pokemons? <laughs> <laughs> maybe <in> a <laughs> maybe a little sure. anachronistic, but possibly. <laughs> all right, all right, Chris. Oh, uh, you, uh, <laughs> you, your question for Gemma, please. Okay.
4: I think she needs to comment on what he just said about Irenaeus and Polycarp. I I, I know she's demolished me on that a few times.
6: (laughs) 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 Well, yeah, more or less, um, I see no actual evidence that we can trace Polycarp back to any alleged apostolic sources. Um, The documents attributed to Polycarp are almost... uh, at least almost all uh, decidedly not written by someone of that time. Uh, In any case, I won't hugely impinge on the historicity of Polycarp here. He may have existed. It's unclear to me. Um, In any case, that alone, I think, is reason to... I mean, I don't see the use in this case of using a, a figure whose historicity is dubious uh, as an attempt to support the historicity of another figure or in this case the unknown author of a particular document referring to a figure of historical uh, historically dubious personage inconceivable
4: I got to ask a question here cuz it, it's what's always confused me so um we're we're basically putting the gospels within the range of like 60 to 100 AD, I mean, I know there's debate about that, but what are the somewhat dates for these other sources? Like, we're talking about getting these sources from Polycarp and stuff, but when are when's that dated? When's Zyranius dated? When's Ignatius dated? That kind of thing. Like, is this, from what I understand, we're talking way after the first century, correct? Uh, largely so, yes. Uh, as for when the
6: writings of, Uh, the alleged writings of Polycarp and Ignatius. Ignatius' letters, it's unclear how many of those he wrote, if any, as well. Uh, At best, those can be dated to the early 2nd century, perhaps the 115s, 120s, or 30s. It's not entirely clear. Um, But yes, our only actual attestation of them is from considerably later, and, yeah, it's not entirely clear that they can be, you know, dated that early. Not that it would especially matter to me if they were, but, yeah, that, that's about my uh, my answer for that.
0: Okay, Chris, you want to rebut that? Rebut it? Um, or you want to add something to it? Um,
3: it raises one question for me, I suppose. Um, with... Uh, another historical figure, Alexander the Great. They're great! The latest or the earliest writing, I think, that we have for him came 300 years after. Mm-hmm, and yeah. yet nobody calls Alexander the Great into question. So what would be the justification for not applying the same thing here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
6: I, I've, got,
0: I've got
3: a quick well,
6: question.
3: Sorry, sorry, the the John, thing is sorry. that we
6: do we do apply the same here. <laughs> it's just that Alexander the Great is in fact heavily attested. Not only are there plays referring to him written during his own lifetime, but of course there is all manner of archaeological evidence. We have coins. We have evidence of, of course, the many cities that he built or rebuilt during his time as you know emperor, more or less. Uh, we have a number of references to him from very shortly after his life. Um, would that we had any of these things for any of the early Christian figures. But, uh, uh, but yes, Alexander the Great's mistress, he really is not remotely comparable to any of these guys.
0: And we also have that horrible, horrible Oliver Stone movie, too. Right? <laughs> uh, no, but I got a question for Chris. Chris, uh, is, is it possible that there could be another historical source that we know of, but we haven't had any writings from this person. Oh, for Jesus's? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. There's
3: always that possibility. Like known
0: historians at the time that we know these people were there, we just haven't found their 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 writings at this point.
4: Are you talking about Q source?
0: Not necessarily. I mean, just sources that we don't necessarily hear of because we can't. We don't really know what they're thinking, right? At this point.
3: No, that I mean, it's always possible. It's all, okay. I, okay. I, can't really comment too much it's fair, enough, fair enough. at this
4: point getting the foundation would be nice now i've spoken to Gemma about this many 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 times and I, I have to make it so she can make it clear that is the idea that paul fabricated jesus from scratch Gemma, is that the idea and that it was this you know richard carrier I, I, I don't thing? Uh, i don't
6: i don't think that paul invented jesus i think that he it's unclear to me that I've discussed this with Richard Carrier. Uh, he is, of course, firmly of the opinion that uh, Galatians chapter 1 indicates Paul's conversion story to Christianity. Um, I'm less convinced, personally, that it's a conversion. He doesn't use that term. Uh, not that the term was, per se, in existence at the time, uh, but he doesn't use a comparable term. He uses the phrase, you know, a revelation um, which to me is far more ambiguous than a, a simple conversion. You give us in the I don't Think it means what you think it means. So to me, um, in particular, the fact that he refers to having uh, in Rome uh, apparently relatives of some kind, cousins, most likely uh, uh, Andronicus and Junia, who were apparently apostles uh, of the highest rank of early Christian. Uh, apparently, they were apostles long before uh, the events described in Galatians 1 even occurred, implying to me that it might not be so much a conversion in Galatians 1 as perhaps he was actually brought up either in Christianity, or at least he was aware of it. Some people in his family were Christians already, um, and thus the revelation he described might simply be his apostolic vision, the vision by which he attained apostolic rank, uh, whereas he may, in fact, have already been a Christian when it occurred. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we going to do now?
0: Okay, fair enough. Chris, it's your turn to ask your question. When is it
3: that you actually believe that Paul was alive?
6: That's an excellent question. Um, I can't firmly date when he was born. Uh, it, I think it's a fair bet it was around the beginning of the first century, so let's say maybe three or four CE uh, around that time. Uh, as for his death, I can't especially uh, date that firmly either. I tend to think in the 70s or perhaps 80s that there's, there's a whole <laughs> uh, story there Um I I believe that he actually absconded at some point uh, after he drops off the written record. He I I, I think he traveled to Spain uh, to Cordoba as he said he was going to do in the in the letter to the Romans, uh, and I I think he most likely lived out his days there, um, apparently not writing anymore, uh, possibly enfeebled. As there are references in his letters that could be interpreted as him having a degenerative disease, uh, and hence he may not have been able to write after that.
0: That, that would make uh, him a, that would make him fairly uh, age for a, a person of his time, right? And that would also make uh, him a director. Not con-
6: necessarily. Um, it was the general rule of thumb in that time is that if you lived to be fifteen years old, you could very well live to be. 50 or 60 and if you live to be 50 or 60 you could live to be 70 or 80 was the general rule of thumb back then i had no
4: idea because okay. yeah, child mortality gets factored in and that brings the age down with how many babies die at like one or two years old so that brings that's why the numbers yeah. don't sound right when you say the average life expectancy was 30 well what about these 80 year olds yeah, yeah. that's not how okay. it works
0: okay. yeah because we exactly be, well for gonna... instance
6: yeah during the uh during the oppression of Domitian in the 90s, we have an account of a Jewish man of 90s being uh, accosted by Roman soldiers for not having enough money to pay his taxes. So clearly people were living quite a long time at this point, even relatively poor people.
0: So, so you guys are essentially saying that you, you guys both believe that Paul was essentially a contemporary of Jesus. Well, you just never met him physically.
6: I mean, I grant that he was alive during the time when Jesus alleged alleged to exist, but, of course, I don't think Jesus was there for him to have met, so...
0: No, that's fair, that's fair. And, Chris,
3: I don't know if I'm in the mainstream of Christians who believe this, but
0: there is no such thing as a mainstream Christian. Forty-two uh, hundred six, sex, my friend. 4,200. No, 42,000. <laughs> oh, whatever. Fair enough. <laughs> <One> the, <laughs>
3: See, I guess why I was asking about that is because, uh, first, with Paul's, uh, when she believes that he existed, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like Christianity came about until after at least 30 AD. So, mm-hmm. if she, if. So, you say was saying that Paul might have been raised in a Christian house. I don't see how that was possible if it didn't come around to the 30s. On top of that, I actually think that Paul was on the very council that condemned Jesus to die. Say what? It said he was a Pharisee and he was already, some scholars actually point to his um, conversion probably around a year or so after the crucifixion resurrection. So there's a very good chance that he was actually probably part of that council or part that actually condemned Jesus to death, which is what some scholars will point to as a pretty remarkable
0: conversion afterwards. That would be an interesting twist, indeed. That's almost good for a Hollywood movie.
6: Yes, I, I, I've heard that uh, interpretation a few times. I don't see any evidence that uh, Paul was actually in Jerusalem at this time. Um, you know, to more to the point, um, my dating of of Paul's whatever you want to call it, quote unquote, conversion or revelation, whatever that is, in Galatians one. I date the beginning of Galatians 1 to 27 CE, uh, based on how he describes 17 years elapsed between that and between the second uh, meeting he had in Jerusalem, which was apparently in uh, 44, coinciding with uh, a major earthquake, uh, as described in Acts in Josephus, etc. Um, there was an earthquake in 44 CE that uh, was devastating to Palestine. Uh, uh, various royal figures pitched in to uh, help uh, a disaster relief fund, more or less, and uh, I think that, that it c- can be the only way to date uh, Paul's second Jerusalem visit, because he is going Explicitly to aid uh, those uh, who are in particular need, and he must have gone early because had he gone in a later year, such as forty-five or forty-six, that royal relief fund had already started taking care of the people in the metropolitan center. Ergo, there would be no need for him to go. Mm.
1: Um,
6: okay. In any case, in any case, dating backwards from that, he describes. Of course, 14 years between that and his previous Jerusalem visit, which could put that at 30. Uh, and then before that, there's three years in which he was on some sort of ascetic walkabout, I suppose.
4: I was going to get up and find the broom,
6: but then I got high. And, he, and prior to that, in approximately 27, he was uh, having whatever this revelation was. Well,
4: that puts and, before
6: that, and before that, he has already informed us that he is one of the last. I mean, he describes his place in the hierarchy in vivid terms. He says he is you know, one strangely born. He compares himself to a, a Caesarean section baby who has been pulled out late, overdue, as if all of the other apostles are already there. Including some of his own family members who have apparently been in the in the cult long enough to have attained that status
0: Okay
4: Well, and it's important to point out that Pontius Pilate was governor prefect or procurator Whatever you want to call it from 26 to 36 and you know, Jesus was crucified by Pontius Pilate in the Bible So if Paul converted in 27 Then Jesus must have been crucified before 27, which puts it not under Pilate. Is that correct, Gemma?
6: more or less. Uh, There's also the important notes that, uh, going back to Mark, which is my favorite gospel, um, Mark makes an an interesting dating point. Um, You brought up 36, the end of uh, Pilate's tenure. Um, Mark curiously uh, dates everything um, after the uh, baptism in chapter 1. He dates all of this by one line, in which he mentions that then John the Baptist was executed, and then all this other stuff happened to Jesus. That's when Jesus started his ministry, according to Mark. And curiously, John the Baptist was not executed until, I think, late 35 or 36, Mm -hmm. um, which puts that squarely at the end of Pilate's tenure. You
0: know, if all these people simply had a Palm Pilot with an agenda on it, you know, you wouldn't have all these mix-up in dates. Is that a pilot Pontius Pilate <laughs> joke as well? <laughs> sort of. <laughs> uh, Gemma, I gotta ask you. I'm gonna play devil's advocate here for half a second because I like doing that. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna say if 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 we're taking if we're taking um if we're taking Paul's word seriously when we when we're when we're dating him. Why should we not take his words seriously about his uh, experiences?
6: Which experiences are you referring to? Of
0: whichever one he had. The, 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 the conversion, whatever,
6: you know. Follow well, that, um, I mean, frankly, that's, I see no particular problem in taking him largely at his word there. Uh, I mean, when need look no further than the many theists still among us to see that, of course, people talk about having had such visions, or whatever indeed his was, and the term revelation could be as broad as, you know, I, it, it, it could range all the way from having an actual vision or paracusic, hallucinatory hearing the voice of Jesus or something, or it could even be as simple as simply he was reading the Septuagint, and he had heard Christians talking and was just reading the Bible one day and was like, hey, some of this seems to kind of line up with what they were saying. Eureka. Fair what enough. What a revelation from God.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. But Chris is sitting here and he's not doing anything because it's Gemma's <laughs> turn to ask him a question. Go ahead, Gemma. It's your turn.
6: Oh, uh, okay. I suppose I'll ask uh, how you date The Gospel of Mark, as early as you do, that really struck me. Uh, You said you dated it to roughly 61, 62 CE. Uh, I dated to at least the latter half of the 70s, or more likely the 80s. Good question. I'd be interested to know how you dated so early. Uh,
3: Yeah, good question. I think I already mentioned this part, but I'll just reiterate. A, it doesn't mention the temple destruction, uh, which was around 70 AD. B, Mark is what I think you even mentioned this yourself. Mark seems to be a source that a lot of the other gospel writers used, including Luke. Now he Luke seems to be the original actually. Yeah. And so Luke, he we have reasonably the guy that wrote Luke also wrote Acts. You look at the inter at the very introduction of it and it's addressed to the same person. Same style. hmm And he also wrote Acts, which is the story of the the early church. Mm-hmm. Luke, or Peter and Paul are major characters in that. When Acts ends, Peter and Paul are both still alive. Peter actually just disappears after Acts 15. Paul's just in Roman imprisonment, and we don't think either of them were executed until 63.
0: You, you just can't rely on that Peter guy. He's just not reliable.
3: <laughs> uh yeah, so they we we at least have heard some traditions that say that they were executed 64-65 AD. So there's I think Based on the fact that Luke was chronicling so much of their lives, that would have been something that he would have mentioned if that hadn't happened. I think circumstantially, we could say that there's a case that it could be moved back at least earlier than the 60s.
0: I was always told that you, Mark shows, it did, like you said, it doesn't say about the destruction of the temple, but it shows knowledge of it.
6: Yes, I, I was just going yeah. to mention that. That of course, I, when you say that it doesn't mention the destruction of the temple, I couldn't disagree more. <laughs> because, of course, there's the Olivet Discourse in which he lays out the destruction in theological terms. Of course, it's phrased as prophecy, but then, of course, since this is all, the story is set uh, much earlier than that, naturally it would have to be, much as, of course, other prophetic books were often phrased as that sort of post diction um, in this case, also uh, on Luke, uh, I've, I do agree that he wrote both Luke and Acts, uh, whoever indeed he was. Um, he was commissioned, apparently, to do this by whoever Theophilus was. Um, the interesting thing about that is that you say chronicling the lives of Peter and Paul when, in fact, so much of it, if not all of it, seems to be incredibly historically dubious and using this same sort of borrowing from literary sources. For example, the Damascus Road conversion story seems transparently ripped off from, uh, I believe, Second Maccabees chapter 3, in which Heliodorus has a very similar vision. Or, for ex- or another good example, of course, is that many of Peter's things seem to be derived from other sources, which is of course uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, his vision of uh, the animals that he's now allowed to eat—that's very similar to uh, Old Testament materials.
0: Yeah, you um, think Jesus would have pulled a new trick by now and then? Huh? He did often have to repeat his lessons. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Th- thank you for that answer, Gemma. Uh, we're we're running low on time already, guys. So, uh, Chris, I'm going to give you one final question for Gemma, and I'm g- going to give Gemma time to ask you one final question, and uh, maybe a question from us here, and then we'll close her up. Go yeah, by. you're going to
4: have to release the Tyler afterwards. Release
0: the Tyler. <laughs> no. Release the Tyler. Okay. um, this is a part where you asked a question. <laughs> Actually, can we just reverse it? Okay, sure. So. Gemma, you want to ask one final question while Chris gets ready to <laughs> lambast you with something?
6: Oh, sure. Um, let's see. So we've talked about Mark. We've talked about Luke. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, something such as Revelation, for instance. I date to approximately 95, 96 uh, CE. Uh, Revelation is... I think, written sort of halfway between the Gospels, as in Mark and Matthew already exists, Luke and John haven't yet been written, and it doesn't really seem to care about any of them. It doesn't really refer to any of the Gospels, other than, of course, sharing some kind of common theology. Um, the interesting thing about Revelation to me is that it is so steeped in strange polytheistic references, where, for instance, of course, it seems strongly to equate Christ with Baal for some reason. It has him fighting the seven-headed dragon Yam, just as uh, just as Baal did. Uh, it has him fighting death, just as Baal did. going I have to ask you to the question, god, It has uh, you know the Father God El, father of Baal. It has the woman clothed in the sun, who is Asherah. It's, this all seems very. <laughs> peculiar that uh, a Christian in the first century uh, would go out of his way to apparently equate uh, Christian views, or certainly the Christian deities in some sense, with very old, pre-exilic Hebrew polytheism, rather than uh, trying to connect it to the uh, Judaism of his time, as Paul does.
0: That's a good question.
3: is not,
6: not he... very interesting.
0: Why does he do that, Chris? Okay, so just so I'm sure I'm understanding the question. Why is, why is Paul using older myth instead of using... No, John? no,
4: John from Revelation. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. John, sorry. John, John at
0: yeah. I've, I've missed
3: all my saints, you know, they're all mixed up. I've actually never th- uh, saw those parallels before, but it seems to me more that John is borrowing images from Daniel, like the monsters that you see in Daniel show up in Revelation, right from the beasts and stuff. So it seemed more like he's taking yes, sir. so it more like if anything he's taking it from a Jewish perspective. I'm sure it uh, wasn't just a bad acid trip. I don't think they had that back then. I could, I could be wrong. No, um,
6: no, they had a they had a lot of things back then.
3: <laughs> I also like I tend to see I mean my whole like theory on John is that he's actually talking about the Neronian persecution and he's trying to warn the church about a coming persecution or things that he's seeing. And so instead of just coming out and saying, oh, yeah, by the way, the Roman Emperor is going to kill all of you or try his best. I'm just going to call him a big red dragon. That's absolutely terrifying. I mean, sure, maybe there is some crossover or parallel. I mean, I'm not in John's head, so I can't say exactly what all of his influences were. That's but. a fair answer.
6: That's a fair answer.
3: All right, Chris, you're yes, left.
6: May, may, I, may I say one or two things on that? Make it quick, please. Yes, um, the, I agree that there is a place for Nero in there, since John Palmas apparently was a believer in the urban conspiracy theory of the time, which was many people believe that Nero either had not committed suicide or that he was going to rise from the dead and come back for something He does seem to have bought into that. I think most of it is about the the Domitian tenure as uh, emperor, given all the references to taxation and whatnot, uh, and the fact that the four horses seem to correspond rather neatly with uh, the Flavian emperors. The thing about the Baal and Christ similarities is is that they really do go beyond uh, Revelation as well, though that is where they're most... Transparent. For instance, Baal was killed and he rose from the dead um, on a hill, no less. He rose in the presence of uh, his sisters and mother and wives, I think. Um, or, for instance, uh, Mark gets in on this a little as well, because, of course, we have the Walking on the Sea, which is, I mean, a sheriff, old. Hebrew Canaanite goddess. Her name means she who walks on the sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all her. Yep. The striking, almost crypto uh references have really struck me for quite some time now, and I, a lot of people complain about Christ mythicism as not having sufficient precedent, but I, I think that, yeah, there is an indigenous Hebrew precedent for a dying and rising savior deity, and that's Baal.
0: Good point. Good point, Chris. Your last question, please. Oh, okay. Um, so I wanted to go back to uh,
3: the idea that there's no extra biblical sources for Jesus. Mm. Like there was a mm. lot of them were later Christian interpolations. Okay. Looking at Tacitus, um, I read one of his quotes, uh, and he calls Christianity a pernicious superstition, and he says that Christians were a class of men loath for their vices. Why would a later Christian interpolation leave that in?
6: Oh, well, that's an interesting question, because I don't think Tacitus actually has been strongly interpolated in those sections. Um, I simply don't think he was referring to Christians. I think that is a mistake, uh, because he does not actually say Christians. Uh, it is Christians with an E, uh, as all the uh ultraviolet scans of the manuscripts have, have revealed. Ergo, I think he is, in fact, referring to the same Judean dissident, Crestus his common name, uh, who gave trouble in Rome, uh, led a Jewish uprising in Rome in 49, leading to the expulsion of Jews from Rome, or at least of the dissenting ones. It's not clear, but in any case, the reference to Crestus, it's also in Suetonius, who refers to uh, Crestus, the thing about one of the reasons this is most apparent to me is that Tacitus did have an alternate source on Christians. He, his best friend, Pliny the Younger, had told him all about Christians, and he does refer to them as Christians, not as Christians. It would be very odd for Tacitus to, to re-spell the, uh, the name of the group that he had already been informed about. And, and of course, his friend Pliny also informed him that they were albeit a weird, creepy cult, but he thought that they were more or less harmless. Uh, so uh, the description we see of this group in Tacitus just does not seem to to synchronize very well with the, the uh, understanding of Christians we know he had from his friend Pliny.
4: Well, yeah, he mentions Christians. He doesn't mention Jesus at all, just that, that there was this group of people who believed in something. It doesn't mean that what they believed in was based in history.
0: Uh, these Christians are all over the place. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris and Gemma, for all this. Uh, you guys have put up a hell of a fight, and we'll have uh, ask our audience which one of you guys won this debate, and hopefully you guys can let us know via email. valley at Outlook.com.
4: Maybe we can get them to talk in our uh, group, too, because there's so many things that we just didn't get to.
0: Yeah, totally, totally, absolutely. Uh, Gemma, if uh, people want to find out more about you and what you do, please, where can they reach you?
6: Uh, They can reach me uh, pretty easily just at my email, uh, pager.jmpage at gmail.com. Perfect. Um, we'll
4: also find you in my group, dis- yeah. discussion group for intellectuals, yeah. and you can watch her slaughter
0: me on a regular basis. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> that I will pay money to see. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gemma. Uh, 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 anything else that we could uh, do for you before we let you go? Anything else you want to you wanna talk about real quick?
6: Um. But not unless you have an idea.
4: Okay, no, <laughs> you're gonna. We'll have to get you guys together so we can talk because I really wanted to talk about the part regarding Paul saying that Jesus was crucified by demons and that being good evidence that it wasn't all right. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah There's so That's, many uh, things that you, I, I was you know. a little surprised that didn't come up. So no. was I. I was, so, I was like, no, wait. Oh wait. Uh, you know what? I'm just gonna have to take over this debate and tell you guys what to talk about. <laughs> But I couldn't do uh, that.
6: Yes,
2: yes. I, yes, I have one question, Jim. I don't know anything about your background, but I'm impressed. Are there any writings that you've done, or are there books? Are there any publications where anyone who is interested um, can can see anything that you that you've put out that they that they can uh, use for research uh, yes. or information? Um, yeah,
6: um, I've done one or two things on academia.edu um, for the moment. Uh, most of my time, uh, academic writing has been uh, taken up by a fairly massive group of projects. For instance, right now I am working on a paper uh, about Christianity as sort of a, a crypto uh in the first century, um, which has been taking a lot of time. Uh, also, I've been attempting to work on a full retranslation of the Bible and some extra-biblical materials um, with commentary, as um, completely secular commentary, because I just have seen so many Bibles, and none of them have quite satisfied me, so I figured I should probably just make another one that uh, accords with secular scholarship rather than simply pandering to uh, a religious-based
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Gemma. We'll stay in touch, and you're welcome back on the show whenever you can. Do I get to ask Chris a
4: question? Absolutely, yes.
6: Yeah.
0: <laughs> thank you, Gemma. Until next time.
6: Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye. And
0: that was Gemma. Excellent. <laughs> not have to thank you? Too, you? Oh,
4: no, we so many things. I'm not a mythicist, as you know. I told you that before we started the show. But um, it's not just a question of whether Jesus is based on a real person or not. Because you're, you're a Christian. You accept the su- supernatural claims in the Bible as well, right? That's true. Okay, so I've read it and a lot of the research. Regardless of when it was written, whether it was 61 or 65, it, I find it strange that somebody would believe Jesus did all of these you know, magical things and, and whatnot. But we don't have any documentation about it within that time. If I were God, I mean, I would try to leave actual solid evidence. So I was hoping you could tell me what the oldest existing manuscripts are from Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John that actually mention any of these supernatural claims. And, and you said you did a paper on the resurrection. So I thought you might be able to tell me what the oldest manuscript is that exists today that mentions it.
0: That's a very good question. I know Mark
4: originally didn't include the resurrection. At least that seems to be the scholarly consensus that, you know, the man told the women to go and they told nobody and then it ends.
3: Well, it still does include the fact that the tomb was empty and that there was a guy saying that Jesus had risen. That yeah. part is still included in Mark 16. And that's yeah, and included in the oldest manuscript. Which is
4: dated to what?
3: Actually, it's really cool. Um, they have late, uncovered recently a... I saw uh, it. It hasn't been confirmed yet. It hasn't been confirmed, but yeah. there's at least a chance.
4: It's, it's been pending for several years now and still never been confirmed. You're talking about the masks. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But there's okay. people, I know a couple of people that are... Well, that's, that's why
4: we have peer review. So yeah. other than that, this one thing that has not been allowed to be investigated by a whole variety of people and hasn't been published and hasn't been confirmed. But up until this day, what, what are the uh, oldest... Manuscripts, Because when I looked it up, the earliest thing that I could find was like the 4th century. We're talking 300 years after Jesus died, yeah, which, is, which is one of the uh, Muslims' arguments saying that Jesus wasn't crucified. Somebody else took his place, and then he ascended into heaven, which is just as ridiculous in my opinion. You want to
0: know what's wrong with Christianity? Ask a Muslim. Yeah, and vice versa. I'm
4: just wondering if you know what the oldest copies are, because I looked at Mark, and there's nothing. I mean, there's tiny little fragments here and there. But mo- it's pretty much all 200 years after Jesus died. So we're talking 3rd century here. So all these claims of him doing all these things is from 200 <laughs> years later. Now the oldest... you got to let him answer. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? You- I know. I- the oldest <laughs> fragment is P52, which doesn't mention anything supernatural whatsoever. And it's 100 years after Jesus died. And then we're talking way, way later. So I'm just wondering what the answer to that is.
3: Okay, so uh, again, I would point you back towards other historical figures that we have, like Alexander the Great, who mm-hmm. a lot of their stuff was written centuries after. Okay, Now, with that... It doesn't do any good to say, oh, well, there's no supernatural elements, therefore it can't be taken seriously. Well, there's supernatural elements. Exactly. He was, he
4: was born of a virgin. And... The
3: son of Zeus, like yep. things like yep. that.
4: So that just like Jesus, that doesn't really help Jesus' case very much.
0: Alexander right. the Great, though, like, took out a whole Speaking bunch
4: of Mike. Yeah, they're, they're, Alexander they're, the Great took out a bunch of Asia, and there's places named after him, so it's kind of hard a, to debate that. There's a lot, and there's coins with him on it.
0: Yeah. Okay, <laughs> but my actual point... I want to find a Jewish carpenter table signed by Jesus. <laughs> yes. That's Go ahead,
3: the point with it is, though, is that we have at least, uh, if nothing else, we have 1 Corinthians, which seems to be, have been dated around 53 to 57 AD. Mm-hmm. And it does actually mention that Jesus died, was buried, raised again. You look at Mark, all of his, like at least half of his gospel is dealing with the Passion Week, the death, the burial, the resurrection. Yeah. And the way that the burial is contrasted with raised, it suggests at least that the body was put in, it raised up again. Yeah, but
4: you keep saying dated to the year 50-something, dated to the year 60-something. I'm talking actual physical manuscripts are all 200 years after Jesus died. I can understand why people who, like Bart Ehrman, I understand why they think he was a real guy and supernatural elements were just added. But it just seems strange to be God, send Jesus to die for everybody's sins, and leave absolutely zero trace to convince people. I mean, God would be talking to me and saying, I don't, I don't blame you for not believing. I did this miraculous thing 2,000 years ago and didn't leave a shred of evidence. Dude, so,
0: dude I got to cut in because we're way over time. Okay, <laughs> Chris, if anybody wants to find out what you're doing and what you're studying and all that, they want to contact you, where can they find you? Um, yeah, my email is not going to surprise anybody
3: defense <laughs> of Eden at gmail.com say it again defense, defense. with an S of okay. Eden at gmail.com perfect to- and
0: before I let you go i gotta let you. I got to get you to say one thing can you say hi I'm Chris the Christian and I took a left of the valley I'm Chris the Christian and I took a left at the valley awesome <laughs> and please come back
4: and debate the resurrection yes. right. anytime no.
0: Look forward to it. Yeah, that's, that's going to be great. So thank you so much for being on the show, guys. I appreciate that. Coming up next week, we actually have our old friend uh, David Fitzgerald talking about St. Paul. He'll be debating uh, St. Paul with us. Uh, of course, on the 17th, we have our Christmas special. After that, uh, during those two weeks, we're probably going to do a top 10 best of uh, Left of the Valley during the year. For, for the new year, we'll be talking to Jenny Rustemeyer and uh, Grant Baldwin about food waste that should be interesting and we'll also have legendary uh, anchor John McComb from CKNW will come and talk to us about depression and the fights you can find us at leftofthevalley.com you can uh, send us an email at left at valley at com. give us an email uh, send us uh, what you guys thought about uh, Chris versus Gemma should we do more of these do you think Chris uh, was right do you think Gemma was right let us know guys thank you so much for being here until next time yeah no problem <laughs> Skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith. And unsubstantiated
1: claims, that's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. 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 All perfectly intelligent people can reach the conclusion that all non-believers are evil. What a fucked up statement. Do you realize what you're saying? But according to your book, this is how your God made me. Skeptical of anything. that digs history, denies evolution, hates science, promotes mystery. I'd rather see the truth than to bask in my own ignorance, rather be alone than surrounded by damn idiots. As long as there's a breath in my body, you can bet your last dollar I'll be working hard fighting this problem. Religion is a disease, it comes from culture. Only true on a regional scale Science is universal Or you to say that Horus isn't real But Jesus is Or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu You don't believe in them I think the reason is apparent You do what you're told and believe in The God assigned by your parents I'm proud to be an atheist A skeptic, a non-believer An infidel, a heathen I call it how I see it I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith And unsubstantiated claims That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. 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 I am. I'm an atheist. 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 I am. I'm an atheist. atheist, atheist I am. I'm an atheist. Now let me take a second. not mean it sounds so hateful but I swear to God, pun intended I find it disgraceful. The thousands of children are raped by priests and since the holy men of God they get away scot-free. And the Pope does his very Best to keep it on the hush Don't wanna affect business He loves money too much We know that they love the kids But how the fuck can we protect them While they plan to molest them We're teaching them to respect them, respect them? Fuck that. The system is broke down Working backwards And the only action of tactic I plan to practice now is to attack them The parties of God's hands are bloodstained Millions of murders by believers And they're all in God's name and let me take a sec, don't mean it sounds so hateful But I swear to God, pun intended, I find it disgraceful That many atheists are told to be quiet You're not alone, speak your mind, time to let it be known I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer An infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it I say it's difficult You just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims That's something to be ashamed I'm an atheist, atheist, atheist I'm an atheist, atheist, atheist I'm an Atheist. atheist